Powered by, by. RootslandNation.com Listen to back episodes of the podcast. Stream original music. Check out the latest fashions. RootslandNation.com We're your culture. Henry, pick up the phone. Okay, Mom, I got it. Hurry up. It's Bob Andy calling from Jamaica. Hey, Bob, what's up, man? How you doing? Cario, I've been listening to that demo tape you sent. Okay, yeah. What are those songs? Love and Happiness? I'd love to record it. You like my song, Love and Happiness? Oh, please don't say this is a joke. No, really? no, I think I can add a nice flavor to that track. You want to record it? Of course. That's if you don't mind. I'll be up in New York next month and we can vice it then. Mind? You kidding me? Bob, I would love that. Tell you what, just set up the studio time. Oh, and there is something else. Okay, what else? Yeah, sure. Are you planning to come to Jamaica anytime soon? Well, I can. Why? Well, we can discuss it when you're up in New York, but I'd like for you to take a little trip with me. A road trip with you? Up to the North Coast for a week or so, you know? Oh, I am so in. I'm so down for that. I had some business I had to take care of, and I would like for you to join me. Of course, I'd love to, Bob. Mom! Mom! The guy's righteousness governed the world. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. Henry, I'm tired. I'm not in the mood for one of your stories right now. Just a short one. I think you can use it right now. Well, I guess I don't have a choice. Well, I told you about Bob Andy, right? Yeah. You talk about him all the time. Isn't he your hero or something? Well, more than a hero, if that's even possible. Okay. What about him? I don't even know. Didn't you work for him at the studio? Well, actually, I did more than just work for him. I shadowed him. Did everything he did. Went everywhere he went. Ate everything he ate. I mean, he showed me new worlds. And new ways at looking at this one. And he took me places. See ya? I mean, I knew they existed. Knew they were out there. But never imagine the helplessness. People had just given up on life. Given up on everything. And those children... Bob wanted me to see it all firsthand. Where he came from. Why he had no choice but to rise out of the ghetto or die trying. He wanted me to see life through his eyes, knowing that I had grown up in a sheltered, sugar-coated world. His lessons didn't only include telling me about the physical obstacles he faced. There were emotional scars from his battles. He suffered from bad headaches, Sleeplessness, bouts of depression. I mean, how could he not? He lived in a city where all he had to do was look up into the hills and see the homes, the estates of producers, singers, publishers that were built with his music and his lyrics while he was living in a rental apartment in New Kingston, spending most of his money on lawyers and legal fees, desperately trying to win back the rights to songs that he wrote. It would have broken a weaker man, 
Well, after Tough Gong, after Kingston, I went back up to New York, ready to change the world. Of course, I wanted to be just like Bob Andy. Write songs, make music that could inspire people, that could uplift people. Make music that can make money also. I was living at home, working part-time, and spending what little money I had on studio time, recording songs, and then shopping them to everyone and anyone who would listen. I attended all the music conferences and seminars, songwriting workshops, networking events. It was brutal and discouraging. And worst of all, my parents, who always believed in me, they were starting to lose faith and confidence that I'd ever make it in the music business. Don't you think it's time to get a real job? Understandably, they wanted me to be practical, give up on my dream, and I was ready to, ready to pack it all in. And then I got a lifeline. Bob Andy called me from Jamaica, and he'd been listening to my demo tape that I sent to Kingston. He thought one of the songs was a hit. It was named Love and Happiness, and I wrote it with my friend Andy in our student government office at Lawrence High School. Bob said he was coming up to New York and offered to record the song when he arrived. And when I told him my parents were giving me a hard time, wanted me to quit the music business, Bob said if it would help, he'd be willing to speak to them, let them know not to give up on me yet, that I showed potential. I mean, imagine Bob Andy, a friggin' legend, an icon, one of the greatest songwriters in reggae, making that kind of effort for a nobody, taking his time, lending his voice and credibility for me. I mean, that's the definition of a friend, isn't it? Well, did he ever record that song? Of course he did. Soon as he came up to New York, we went right to the studio at D&D in New York City. How does it sound? What do you mean? He killed it. He killed it. I'll play it for you on the drive back. That's if you're still talking to me. Oh, very funny. Anyway, after the session, he spent a few days at my house in Woodmere, out in Long Island. Really? Your parents didn't mind a restaurant staying at your house? Oh, my parents were amazing. Yeah, we always got a few looks from the neighbors, so nothing out of the ordinary. So you think they'll accept me? See ya. They were able to handle me for 20 years. What do you think? They can handle anything. The question is whether you can handle them. Mm, So... Did Bob Andy ever have that talk with your parents? Well, let's just say, after a couple days at my house, my parents never doubted me again. Bob could be very convincing, especially when he believed in something. You know, Sia, Bob had been in the fight since he was a child. He toured the world as a singer, actor, dancer, activist. But he had grown weary of the battle. He was ready to settle down. He told me about a dream. Well, maybe it was more of a fantasy that he could move out to the country somewhere, up in the North Coast, away from the distractions of Kingston, and build a little home, sing a few nights a week, not with a reggae band or anything like that. Just a simple little cabaret show. Him and a piano player, where he could sing some jazz and pop standards, mix in some of his original songs, with new acoustic arrangements. Bob figured with his name and reputation and the sweat equity he put into the business, he could perform at some of the high-end exclusive resorts that catered to a clientele 
that would appreciate his beautifully textured voice and a rich eclectic catalog of material. This was the storybook ending that a man like Bob Andy deserved, after all the blood, sweat, and tears he poured into the music. So he set up appointments at some of the island's most prestigious resorts, hotels where he had friends in high places that were willing to set up interviews and valued his talent. He had me accompany him as his quote-unquote business manager from New York. Bob understood the psychology of the business. You know what I mean, Sia? Stick with me and I can make you a star, you know? Oh, very funny. Our first stop on the trip was Port Antonio at the Trident Villas. And then we went to Jack Tar, the Trial Club, and the Round Hill Hotels in Montego Bay. And then finally off to Negril for a few days. We stayed right next door at the Country Cottages for $15 a night. And Bob was able to get a taste for what Negril life could be. Running on the beach, tennis, fruit and vegetables. Not to mention, the women in Negril, they were crazy for Bob. What about you? You didn't meet anyone in Negril? Anyway, Sia, come on. This story's about Bob. Let's not digress here. Do you want to hear it or not? Okay. Finish. Finish. Okay, well, listen then. By the time we had our last two meetings in Negril, Bob was already looking for places to rent. He was all in. And I was trying to convince him to get a house on the beach with an extra guest room. Things went well at our morning meeting with the manager of the Grand Lido, a luxury oceanfront resort on Bloody Bay. It was popular with honeymooners. It was perfect for Bob. A piano bar and poolside venues with top-of-the-line sound equipment. They offered him the gig on the spot, but we still had to negotiate a price. So we decided to attend that afternoon meeting at Swept Away. That was the brand-new five-star flagship resort and spa owned and operated by the Issa family white Syrian Jamaicans that had been tourist industry leaders for generations, ever since family patriarch Abraham Issa built the Tower Isle in Ocho Rios. We were meeting with Lee Issa, his son, who seemed quite excited to have Bob Andy as an attraction at his new hotel, and anxious to show us around. We pulled up to the swept-away parking lot. All the construction had been completed on the beachside resort property. However, across the road... Where the new state-of-the-art spa was located, they were still adding the finishing touches, causing the sound of hammers and drills to interrupt the peaceful Negril afternoon. After walking all the way from the parking lot to the entrance of the hotel, Bob remembered he left his sunglasses in the car, so he went back to retrieve them. It was too hot and I was too lazy to go back with him, so I kept walking towards the hotel. I passed the valet, drawn into this magnificent grand promenade. And once inside, I was greeted by smiling hostesses, serving ice-cold drinks and hors d'oeuvres to the newly arriving guests. A mento group serenaded them under the bamboo ceiling fans. This was paradise. I closed my eyes and took a breath of the clean beach air and got lost to the sound of gentle waves and mento music, to laughing and splashing in the nearby pool, a distant blender mixing frozen drinks, Bob Andy's voice, screaming my name. Cario! Cario, come here, man! And then when I turned come around, here. you're not going to believe it. What? What was going on with him? There was Bob, being physically restrained by a security guard at the entrance. He had Bob by the shirt, 
holding him. Really? Keeping him from getting into the hotel. What did you do? I ran over as quick as I could. Come tell the security who I am. Yo, 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 dude, security. That's Bob Andy. That's Bob Andy the singer, man. Yo, he's here for a meeting with Mr. Issa, the owner of the hotel. You gotta let go, dude. Didn't anybody tell you? The security guard knew immediately he screwed up. Bob stepped back and tried to gain his composure. He started to smooth out the wrinkles on the shirt, caused by the security's manhandling him. Bob shook his head, as if to brush it off. But the damage was done. It was embarrassing. Guests were gawking at the commotion, staring at Bob like he was some kind of intruder, a criminal trespasser. Come on, Cario, let's go. We went to the front desk. A receptionist paged Mr. Issa, and he met us in the lobby, unaware of the commotion that just transpired minutes before. After some polite introductions and formalities, I waited for Bob to address the situation. He was not a man to stay silent, especially after that humiliating fiasco. But Bob kept his cool for the moment, allowed Mr. Issa to give us his personal guided tour of his new crown jewel. Hey, you see the marble at the bar? It's the biggest block of marble ever brought to the Caribbean. 50,000 U.S., you know. And, and we imported the teak wood from Thailand, you know. Some of the most expensive building materials in the world. And, and, and come here. You have to see the tiles on our pool. Handmade and hand-painted. Nothing like it. You wouldn't believe the cost. We've spared no expense for our guest. So, Mr. Issa... We know how expensive the tiles are, and they are beautiful. And you told us the price of the teak wood and the marble from Italy. But let me ask you something, sir. How much you pay a security guard? Who protects it all and look out for your guests? Because I can guarantee it's no more than 50 US dollars per week, if that much. And would you really consider that to be fair and adequate salary for a man who put him life on the line? Mr. Issa's smile disappeared from his face. He looked over at me confused, maybe hoping for some camaraderie or a sympathetic ally. He had the wrong guy. Yeah, Mr. Issa, Bob had a little problem with security when we got to the hotel. A little problem? I would say it's something more concerning. I would even say it is alarming. See, for me, this was the fun part. Because in a polite but admonishing tone, Bob explained something to Mr. Issa. He explained why it was dangerous, neglectful for security to just let me walk right through the door, right through the front gate unchecked, based just on the color of my skin. I was a stranger, not even registered at the hotel, and came right in off the street. I could have been anyone, a thief maybe worse, and I was given access to the whole resort. And yet Bob, who was better dressed than I was, an established Jamaican celebrity, was forcibly restrained at the entrance, treated like a common criminal for doing the same exact thing I did just 30 seconds earlier. And why? Because he was a black man with dreadlocks. Bob Andy was now in his wheelhouse. He had made a career dismantling and exposing this hypocritical upper-class Jamaican superiority complex that somehow they and they alone knew what was best for Jamaica and that ghetto people weren't capable 
or smart enough to provide useful solutions to the country's laundry list of problems. I have to admit I was enjoying every minute. Obviously, Bob wasn't going to get the gig at this hotel. Nor did I think he cared. But seeing such a powerful man like Mr. Issa squirm in his seat and have to take this justifiable berating, maybe for the first time in his life, was a joy. And then Bob did something surprising. Disappointing. What? What did he do? He relented. He gave Mr. Issa back all the power, all the control. Why do you think he did that? This is not a personal attack on you, you know. It's an indictment of a system that has failed our country. You know, Mr. Issa, I can sing a thousand songs and change a thousand lives. And I give thanks for that. But you and the other business leaders have the power to change the entire island. And that is millions of lives. And I apologize if I lost my call. It was just a heated moment. It would be many years before I fully understood the motivation behind Bob's decision that day. And how that was just one of many times in his career where he had to bite his tongue or keep silent while enduring unfair and biased treatment in the music business. I would later learn that many of the original singers and bands that broke down the walls for reggae music were willing to put up with the hardships and exploitation, not because they wanted to, but so that future generations of younger artists wouldn't have to. As a black man, and as a Rasta man, Bob Andy knew that aspiring Jamaican entertainers looking to work and looking to tour in the future, they would be judged and treated based on the way he acted now, how he showed restraint and discipline. So he went out of his way to overcome these stereotypes that hindered Jamaican music from breaking into the mainstream. Even if that meant having to swallow his pride every now and then. Bob Andy was quiet on the way back to country cottages, and I went back to my room to shower and get ready for dinner. After about an hour or so, I checked on Bob to see how he was doing. And when I got there, I couldn't believe what I saw. What was it? What did you see? Bob was sitting on the floor, leaning against the wall in the same clothes he was wearing from earlier. His shirt was unbuttoned and his knees were bent, like he was in the fetal position. He was slowly rocking back and forth, and obviously he was distressed. Shake him? I asked if he's okay, but he didn't answer. So I asked again. Nothing. I really didn't know what to do or say. So I sat down at the end of one of the beds in the room for a while. And then figured he wanted to be alone. When I stood up to leave, he stopped me. No, Curio, Stay here. He didn't want you to go? So what did you do? So I stayed sat back down on the bed and waited for him to say something. Anything. He didn't. Just sat there, rocking quietly. I was at a loss. Didn't want to say anything stupid, so I just sat there. I don't even know. One hour, two hours. I felt useless. And uncomfortable. Which is probably what he wanted. It was heartbreaking to see him like that. My hero was human after all. I don't know, after a while I went back to my room and see ya, to be honest 
I crawled into my bed and bawled like a little baby. As if it wasn't bad enough to see the man I loved, admired, insulted and degraded like that in public, in front of a lobby full of strangers, but to have it happen in front of me, someone who he knew looked up and idolized him. Imagine how that made him feel. Not to mention that this was a man whose life's work and mission has been all about making Jamaica and the world a more tolerant and understanding place. A place where incidents like this should be a thing of the past. In that single moment, Bob must have felt like his whole life's work evaporated in the air. Gosh, I even hate thinking about that day. Oh, Henry, come on, man. Finish the story, man. What happened next? Now you want to hear what happens next, because earlier... You made me sit through this you, thing. You didn't sound like you wanted man, to hear it. Okay. I want to hear the rest All right. of the story. Well, because that's the amazing thing. Early that next morning, there was a knock on my door. And it was Bob standing there with a big smile. Good morning, Kirill. I'm going to check out. I'll meet you at the car. He was wide awake. He'd been up for a while. Took a sunrise swim in the ocean. His dreadlocks looked freshly washed and had a smooth sheen as they hung across a loose-fitting white button-down shirt. And wearing his black-framed Ray-Ban aviator sunglasses, the same sunglasses that caused the problem to begin with, Bob Andy looked like a frickin' rock star, floating on air, unfazed and untouchable, as if yesterday never even happened. I loaded my stuff in the trunk and saw Bob was already sitting behind the wheel, with the car running. You don't want me to drive, Bob? No, man. I'm, I'm good for now. You know, Cario, it seemed that retiring to country was just a fantasy after all. Seems I still have work to do, you know? I stepped into the passenger seat and rolled down the window. We pulled out of Country Cottage's narrow parking lot onto Negril's main road. Bob turned right towards Salve Lamar, which meant we were going home along the south coast. Good. I always loved the South Coast. Bob was concentrating on the road, like a race car driver at the starting line, his mind spinning a million miles per hour, running the race in his head, plotting his route, planning his moves, every twist and turn on the course ahead. He didn't say much that entire ride back to Kingston, but he didn't have to. His expression said it all. Bob was on a mission, focused, Determined, everything was in motion. The ocean breeze blew through the open windows. The air was salty and humid. Bob stayed locked on the road, and his dreadlocks swayed in the wind. And that's when it dawned on me. Why he actually had me stay in his room that previous day? Why he had me sit there for what seemed like eternity and agony, and see him on the floor, broken, depressed, humiliated, Stripped of his dignity and all of his accomplishments. Bob Andy wanted me to see him hit rock bottom so I could witness his rebirth. Watch him rise from the ashes the very next morning like nothing happened. This was a man that had been beaten down over and over again since he was a child. Just like you, Sia. Faced obstacles every step of the way, just like you. And just when he thought he had found some peace, some happiness, all of a sudden, he had to start all over again. 
from scratch. Rebuild what he thought was a safe and solid foundation. But it turns out all those beatings, all that abuse and hurt, made him invincible. Just like you are. You just don't realize it. Sia, you can wake up tomorrow and be a victim. Be angry, bitter at the world for treating you so unfair. And God knows you have the right to be tired. You have the right to want to give up the fight. But you can also wake up and be a Bob Andy. Be a superhero. Just begin the fight. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Draw on an inner strength you don't even know you have. It's up to you. Ah, see, I'm going to the bar. I need a strawberry daiquiri or two. I'll give you some time to yourself. You can think things over. And if you're asleep when I get in, I'll see you in the morning. I love you. Hello? I'm calling from room 324. Can you please send a bellman up to help with our bags? I'm going to be coming down to check out. Can you prepare the bill? Thank you. Marcia, what are you doing? It's early, isn't it? Henry, meet me in the lobby. No, I'm what, checking I'll, out now. I'll be there in five minutes. Don't go. I'm. What do you mean you're checking out? I'm going to pay. No, I'm paying Sia, this bill. come on. Henry. No, I'm, I'll go and pay the front desk. Henry, come on, please. I said I'm paying this bill. See, all right, okay. I don't want to discuss this anymore. Stubborn. I'll be waiting for you in the lobby. Okay, go ahead. When I reached the lobby, Sia was finishing up at the front desk. I'm not sure how she paid, how much money she had saved in her account, or on her bank card, but that room must have been three or four months' salary, maybe more. I wouldn't be surprised if she used up her life savings to pay for that room. But nothing was going to keep this girl from leaving Negril with her pride. And her head held high, regardless of the cost. Sia stepped away from the front desk, into the middle of the lobby. She looked like a cross between a supermodel and a CEO. Standing there in the early morning light, in high heels and a light green linen business suit, with a double-breasted blazer. Her long curly hair was waving from the ceiling fan above her. And every eye in the lobby was on her, captivated by her. The guests, the hotel staff, me. On this lazy Negril morning, there was no mistaking her for anything but what she truly was. A queen. And everyone knew they were in the presence of royalty. Henry, come on. I'm ready to go home. Sia made her choice. I'd seen that look before. That's what an unstoppable force looks like when it gets started. When someone decides to live their life instead of merely existing. Deep down, I knew Sia was going to be fine. She would emerge even stronger than she was before. As for our relationship, that was another story. I pulled out of the treehouse and made a right turn onto Negril's main road towards Savlamar. I was going home along the south coast. I always loved the south coast.
Boxland Podcast is produced by Eric Kane Association with Vice Box Studios. Remember to like, share, and subscribe, and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack available on Amazon, iTunes, or wherever you purchase music. So join the Roots Gang on Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. <laughs> I tell you, tell you, tell you. Choo choo. Henry K. Henry K. Productions.